We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to The Uncontested an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy P. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. What is up, guys, and welcome to The Uncontested. I hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. Hopefully got to watch a lot of football like I did. Uh, By the time you guys are hearing this, it'll probably be Monday morning. And uh, But I currently have the Patriots and Steelers game on, um, and the Patriots are up 17 to nothing. And uh, my fantasy team has done well, so it's been a good weekend of football for sure. I hope you guys enjoyed it. But thankfully, we are getting closer and closer to basketball season. So here we are. We have episode four of our season preview series over here at The Uncontested. Have another great lineup here of guests we're so thankful for for these guests who came on to join us first off we're going to have sean kennedy he is the liberty ballers deputy deputy editor uh philly fast break host you can find him on twitter at philly fast break next we were joined by kane Pittman, who previewed the milwaukee bucks with us uh he is a gyro step host another blue wire podcast uh and he also an espn australia and new zealand reporter which is very cool you can find him on twitter at kane Pittman. that's kane with a k and then finally, we have uh, we were joined by Gerald Bourget. Gerald came on to preview the Phoenix Suns with us as we transition into the Western Conference with our, our season previews. Uh, Gerald is a editor and writer for the Step Back, as well as a Phoenix Suns reporter. So we're really happy that he came on. So I won't take up any more of your guys' time. We really appreciate you guys listening. Let's just jump on into it, starting off with the Philadelphia, Philadelphia 76ers. All right, so we're back now with Sean Kennedy. He is the deputy editor of Liberty Ballers, the 76ers SB Nation affiliate. Uh, obviously covers the Philadelphia 76ers. And you can find him at Philly Fast Break and his work at LibertyBallers.com. Sean, how are you doing today, man? 
I'm doing great, Jacob. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for for taking time to to chat with us today about the 76ers, who, for me, are one of the most interesting teams going into the 2019-2020 season. Uh, So let's recap them a little bit. They ended last year, the 2018-19 season, 51-31, and uh, good for third in the East. And uh, of all teams that got bounced from the playoffs, the Sixers probably had the most heartbreaking one. Uh, East semifinals game seven with the Kawhi shot that bounced on the rim about eight times at the end of regulation. Um, almost four, sending it into overtime. Four times, but it, it, yeah. it, it felt like... It felt like bouncing. it was up there for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I still see it in my nightmares. Yeah, I can imagine like just all of the, the city of Philadelphia just like holding their breath. And uh, the, the game was tied at that point. So if the, the shot misses, it goes into OT, correct? Yeah, it would have went to overtime. And I think everybody in Philadelphia just felt like they had the momentum. I know, you know, a lot of people like to dispel momentum as an actual thing, but they were really starting to roll. And it seemed like they had kind of figured out what they wanted to do on offense with uh, Jimmy, point, point Jimmy. And the defense had kind of locked in. And Kawhi was like, he, he had the 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 lower muscle injury he was you know just doing an enormous load for Toronto so to ask him to go into minutes 48 through 53 and continue to do everything for them I just feel like that that would have been a little too much to ask of him and the Sixers would have pulled it out so uh, it's heartbreaking man like yeah, to be yeah. right there um, so interesting enough though the summer comes along and Philly actually uh, has a, a pretty decent turnover of the roster. Uh, instead of going through each individual transaction, I'm just going to try to sum them up here. And Sean, if I mess up anything here, uh, please correct me. But okay. so the 76ers lose JJ Redick, TJ McConnell, Jimmy Butler, Amir Johnson, Greg Monroe, and Bobon all in free agency. They yep. draft well, te- and, technically oh, Jimmy was a sign and trade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they they draft and sign Matisse Thybul, um, and then I guess uh, they're a, a second rounder or two. I know the one second rounder was Carson Edwards, who then got moved to the Boston Celtics. Um, so Carson, that's actually it's funny you, you mentioned that. That's a huge like point of uh, consternation for for Sixers fans because everyone wanted him. He was the microwave scorer type that they've been coveting the fan base not the Sixers specifically but yeah ever since Lou Williams left they're like we need that small guard that can just pull up from anywhere and just come off the bench and like play 15-20 minutes and he can go off for 20 points in a given night if he's hot and so everyone wanted Carson Edwards and they're like oh it's going to fall perfectly and then they did the trade to move up with uh Boston to so that they can make sure and grab Thibel I believe at 21 versus 24 yep but they traded the first of their two second round picks, not the second one. So they had 33 and 34. They gave 33 to Boston. And of course, Carson Edwards went to Boston at 33. Yeah. And then and, he's not there at 34. He wasn't there at 34. And they ended up, I think, selling that pick to try to get off Jonathan Simmons contract. Oh, I gotcha. Um, okay. So yeah, everyone is super salty that Carson Edwards <laughs> is not a, a sixer. Um, oh. But yeah, te- technically they never had him it was one of those draft night things where yeah Boston for sure made the pick, um, but so so they they draft matisse thibel first round uh sign him to a rookie deal they also add josh richardson in the jimmy butler sign and trade 
Uh, in free agency, they add Al Horford, Kylo Quinn, Raul Nato, who actually when I was doing looking up everything and doing the research for Philly, I didn't know his first name isn't Rawl. It's like Rawl and then a whole bunch of other letters on the end of it that I have no chance in the world at pronouncing. Um, oh, I, did, I didn't know that. So that's interesting. Uh, and Trey Burke, all in free agency. Uh, they re-signed Furkan Korkmaz. Did I pronounce that right? Yep, that's it. Oh, perfect. James Ennis, Mike Scott, uh, Tobias Harris to the max contract, and Shake Milton. And then, obviously, the rookie extension for Ben Simmons. Does that all sound correct? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so, Neto is, uh, he's actually, it's pronounced Ha'ul. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's Brazilian. I, I didn't know that until he, the press conference when he arrived here. Um, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's, I, I didn't know. That, yeah, that's I actually, yeah. I actually just Googled it, and it's, yeah, it's Ha'ulzinho is his, his full name. Okay, well, there you yeah. go. Um, as far as salary situation, Philly, 21 million over the cap, but actually below the tax line. Is that correct? By about three or 4 million bucks. Yeah. So that will, that was important for them. I think to remain under this tax for one more year, because next year when Simmons's extension goes into effect, they're going to be over the tax. And, you know, once that repeater tax starts coming into play, then it really becomes prohibitive to oh, to, to building a roster. Trust me, as someone who covers the Thunder <laughs> over the past few years, I completely understand that. I think the Thunder at one point were paying four dollars and fifty cents for every dollar over the tax. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, that that repeater is nasty. Yep. So they were very uh, diligent about staying under the tax this year, and I think that was what geared a lot of their moves as far as like selling the second round picks that they did. And uh, Elton Brand, uh, the general manager for the Sixers said that when those moves happened, you know, they had the press conference the day after the draft and he said, you know, I have to worry about every dollar. And he was, it was basically code. Like we can't pay the tax this year. Um, ownership's willing to deal out these max deals to guys. But I think that was the one kind of limitation they placed upon him is make sure we're not in the tax this year. So gotcha. Interesting. So Westgate has the 76ers currently at 55 wins for next season, which is good for second in the East and second in the league. They have Milwaukee at number one in the league, Philly at number two in the league. So Sean, uh, first question I have for you is over the summer, obviously uh, the big storyline well, I mean, there's a lot of storylines for Philly, but maybe the biggest one is the the departure of Jimmy Butler to the Miami Heat uh, in an insane like four team trade that ends up getting Josh Richardson, who's actually a, an Oklahoma native from Edmond, to Philadelphia. And you had kind of touched on it earlier when we talked about the playoffs, but Jimmy Butler had become kind of like point Jimmy. He was the one with the ball in his hands. Uh, whenever push came to shove, whenever they needed a bucket, they went to Jimmy. Now Jimmy is gone. Josh Richardson kind of had that job in Miami, but just didn't seem like he was the type of guy to just take the ball and take over a game. So with Jimmy gone, how do you see the offense, especially like when the Sixers get to the playoffs? And I know they have very high playoff aspirations this year. How do you see the offense functioning without Jimmy Butler there? Who's the guy that steps up and becomes that go-to guy? Yeah, I think you hit on the number one question for the team going into the year. Um, for all the reasons you mentioned, Jimmy became the guy that was, you know, playoffs teams lock in and the the action kind of slows down and it becomes more of a grind. And you gotta 
it becomes more of a half court game and you got to get that bucket and Jimmy was that guy for them. So I think that's the number one question. Um, I think the team is optimistic that Tobias Harris becomes that guy. They, they obviously gave him the, the near max. Um, I think, you know, they shaved a few million off of it being the full max, but essentially a max contract. And they're hoping that he continues to do more with the ball in his hands. He becomes more of a uh, dynamic playmaker. Um, he, he kind of was reduced to being a spot-up guy a lot last year because, you know, they had Jimmy. They had the two-man game between J.J. Redick and Embiid. That was a big part of their offense. So I, I think they're hopeful that he can do more in, in a pick-and-roll and, roll and uh, driving the ball and not just be a guy that's out on the perimeter. Um, I, so I think that's a number the number one thing that they're going to look to um, and hope that he progresses his game. He's a guy that's improved every year he's been in the league and he's still only 27 years old. So there's definitely room for growth for him still. Um, and aside from Tobias, I think maybe Simmons, Ben Simmons uh, is able to do a little bit more as, as a shooter. And I, I don't mean he's going to come out and, you know, start draining threes because that's kind of the, uh, the eternal question with him. But if he can just, you know, pull up and hit a shot from the elbow, and he's willing to do that, I think that would allow him to be more of a playmaker. And previously, he's kind of been reduced to standing around the dunker spot down there along the baseline. But if he can uh, be a threat where he can come off a pick and just kind of pull up from the elbow, and, and, and that's something defenses have to contend with, then I think that would open things up a lot for him. Um, because obviously, when he drives and puts his head down and gets to the basket, he's uh, you know a 6'10 guy with the ability to to handle the ball. That's not something a lot of defense are, are equipped to contain. Um, so I think those are the two main areas. Um, obviously, Josh Richardson is, is going to do, you know, some some similar things. He's able to, to handle the ball. Um, he's a little overextended in Miami, but he can do some of that stuff. He can do some of the uh, dribble handoff stuff that they had with uh, J.J. Redick last season. So that'll still be a part of the offense. But yeah, if it's, uh, you know, hey, we need a bucket, defense is set, you know, who are we going to toss the ball to to create something? I think it's probably going to be uh, Toby that has to be that guy for them. That makes sense. Yeah, and like you mentioned, they they definitely paid him the amount to to be that guy. So uh, you mentioned J.J. Redick a few times there, and I think that's interesting. J.J. was really a big part of Philly's offense last season, uh, especially just the gravity that he has out there. That guy can catch and fire off in a heartbeat, and, and you know, defenses – overextend on him to try to prevent him from shooting so just but besides who do they go to to get a bucket how do you see the the offense changing now that that JJ is gone uh Josh Richardson really doesn't doesn't do the same things JJ Reddick does uh Richardson's maybe a little more versatile than Reddick uh, but not as elite at at one single thing like Reddick is at shooting so how do you see the offense kind of playing out now that Reddick is gone when he was such a big part of it last year yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what Brett Brown draws up. Um, yeah, obviously the the gravity is is a big part of it, but also just the 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 two man game between him and Embiid has it was kind of the bedrock of the offense the last two years, and that's that was kind of their standard set because you know Embiid is obviously the best player, and Redick when he had the ball in his hands and he would 
he would like the defenses would jump at him like two three guys just because they were so scared of him uh pulling up to shoot and that would open up th- things up for Embiid. that would open things up for you know kick it to the other side of the court and then harris has a uh, a guy charging at him that's trying to recover and then he's able to do the the secondary playmaking stuff um so yeah i think they're going to do some of that stuff with richardson i think he he isn't as good a shooter as Redick, but I think he he's a little better ball handler and he is able to shoot. So he'll st- I think they'll work that part of the game. Um, I also think they'll do a lot of like high low stuff with Al Horford and Embiid um, because obviously that's that's going to be interesting to see those two guys work together. And we saw it with Baines and Horford in Boston, and Embiid's a, clearly a much more dynamic offensive player than Baines. And so I'm optimistic that that will work really well together. Horford's a guy that can space the floor himself. He's a, a good three-point shooter, not high volume, but he's an efficient uh, shooter. And between him and Embiid, they're, uh, especially Horford being the great playmaker and passer that he is, I think that will be a really interesting wrinkle to add to the offense this year. Um, and then just a lot of uh, pick-and-roll stuff with uh, with Harris and uh, with Ben. And, you know, I... I'm really interested to see what they do. Like like you said, they, they turned over a decent portion of the roster. So there's a lot of different avenues Brett Brown can explore. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about the season coming up to see, you know, where he turns and, and what he decides to, to come up with. Definitely. So you touched on, you're great at this, this by the way, because you've segued me like perfectly in the last two questions. Because coming up next, I wanted to ask you, number one, about Al Horford. And number two, about Philly's depth with, with the massive turnover. Um, do you see Philly kind of trying to, to minute, minute restrict maybe isn't the right word, but at least save Joel Embiid by playing Al Horford more at the five and letting them, at least one of them, be on the court at all times? Uh, kind of to save Embiid for the end of the season, the playoff push. And just how do you like the Horford fit uh, next to Embiid whenever they're on the court together as the five and the four? Yeah, they're absolutely going to do that. I think that was the the primary focus of bringing Horford to Philadelphia is that last season, Joel, towards the beginning of the season, he was trying to win like defensive player of the year. So he had it in his mind that he had to be on the court all the time, not miss any games. And there was a long stretch um, well into the season where he was like leading the league in minutes. And it was crazy that like, you have a guy that the injury history that he has, the size that he is, he, he just can't do that. He can't uh, continue to have that kind of workload. And we saw at the end of the year, the effect of it when he started to break down um, and missed, you know, missed a couple playoff games, clearly wasn't a hundred percent in some others, and it might've cost them the Toronto series. So they knew that they had to both, um, improve the depth behind him and also bringing in a guy like Horford, Joel kind of can feel like, Hey, he's got this. I don't have to take on as big a responsibility because I know that I have this, uh, a guy in Al Horford that can step in and he's a, he's an all-star player and I, he doesn't have to feel the same kind of, uh, you know, burden on his shoulders to, to, to do so much. And he can kind of relax a little bit, um, in that, respect so yeah they're definitely gonna you know try to have one at least in important games it's going to be 48 minutes of one of them on the court at all times protecting the rim um probably in the regular season they won't do that they'll probably mix in kyle quinn a little bit um to try to limit their minutes and there will definitely be games that joel sits or 
or Horford sits and to try to pick their spots to give them rest and keep them fresh for the playoffs, which is what the team is really focused on. So um, that's probably the the number one reason I'm optimistic about what happened in this past offseason, just because the drop-off from Joel to the backup centers last year was just so dramatic. We saw in the Toronto series, they were a plus, I think it was 93 when Embiid was on the court. Oh, wow. And it, it, was, it really was just an absurd stat like you, you would think it was fake how how yeah, well they that's did with crazy the that's court. a huge number yep and then yeah it was like greg monroe played two minutes and they lost 12 points the one game oh um, holy shit yeah so, yeah so just having you know you have horford who's you know an all-star in in the past um and then you have even like kyle quinn a serviceable vet that can pick up some spot minutes here and there. I just think that's going to make such a huge difference for the team. Um, as far as them playing together, I think it's going to be a little bit of a uh, an adjustment for, at, at least with Joel. He's not, uh, in the past, they've tried to surround him with uh, stretch fours, like the Irsan Ilyasovas of the world, Mike Scott, obviously, who's still on with the team. Um, those guys that, you know, are, are more content to just stand out there, space the floor, um, and defensively, they have a little more, uh, they're a little more perimeter oriented. Um, but I think, uh, Horford is still a guy, uh, even as he's, you know, getting into his mid thirties now, or he's age 33, I believe, uh, he can still guard smaller players. So I don't, I don't feel too, um, pessimistic about his ability to guard opposing fours. I think he'll still do a pretty good job there. And then offensively, he's just, he's a great playmaker. He can, you can shoot the ball, so I, I feel good about him uh, at the top of the key. You know, as a as a fulcrum for the offense, and uh, you know they're both high IQ guys. I think they'll find a way to make it work, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Nice. So you you touched on the big man rotation there a little bit. I'm curious on your thoughts on the the new rookie Matisse Thybul. Uh, Thunder fans did a li- we did a little bit of research on Matisse early on. And the draft process, there was a rumor floating around that the Thunder may have promised Thibel. And uh, and because of that, I did a lot of research on Thibel. And I, I think he's a really fascinating player. Do you think with Philly having champion, not only championship aspirations, but a, a legitimate shot at a title this year, uh, does Matisse Thibel get rotation minutes on that wing? Or are they going to, are, are the Philly 76ers going to focus more on getting guys like James Ennis? Uh, Cork Maws, guys like that involved. I think they're going to give everybody a shot and see, you know, who kind of emerges. They have Thibel and then they have Zaire Smith last year's. Oh, first round yeah. Pick. I completely forgot about Zaire. Yeah. So between the two of them, if one, I think they're really hoping that at least one of those two kind of emerges to be a three and D type that they can slot into their rotation, like as a seventh or eighth man. And if, I, I feel good about the chances of at least one guy hitting. Both of them are incredible defenders. Um, Zaire obviously had the the allergy issue, which was a huge setback for him yeah, last year. Just a crazy story. Yeah, just like he, like almost died, right? Yep. Yeah, it was it was it was literally life threatening for him at one point. That is um, insane. He lost, you know, close to thirty pounds, I believe. He and and that was after the foot injury. So just the rookie year from hell for him, but he, uh, you know, to his credit, he continued to, to work and he actually, you know, played some games at the end of the season there. Um, both of them look good in summer league. Uh, Thibel, 
was shooting the ball a lot better than I think uh, the scouting report said. He, you know, he did a good job offensively. All the, you know, the, the steals and blocks numbers, everyone thought that the question was, does the zone defense he played in college translate to the NBA? Yep. And he looked, you know, there were some lapses when he was on the ball, but he did it for the most part, still did a good job as an all ball, on ball defender. And then his instincts off the ball are just incredible. And they're absolutely going to translate um, even in a man setting. Um, so I'm, I'm very bullish on both him and Zaire. And I think the, the swing, the swing skill for them will be like who will be able to knock down 36, 37% of their threes this year. And if either one of them does it, then they will absolutely be a part of the rotation because defensively they're ready to contribute. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, Hey, two more questions before I let you go here, Sean, the first one, uh, I want to circle back to the start of our conversation. I said that the 76ers, uh, Westgate has them at 55 wins this season. Good for second in the East. Uh, so those two things, the 55 wins and the positioning in the East, uh, give me an over or an under for each of those. Where do you think, do you think they end up higher or lower than 55 and higher or lower or spot on with number two in the East? I'm going to say over 55. I'm going to, okay. I, I think, I think it'll be slightly over, um, so last year they won 51, as you mentioned. I just think they're so much deeper this year. Uh, we we discussed how they have more depth behind Embiid at center. Uh, that's going to make a huge difference in the games he sits. He sit, typically sits out about 15 games a year. And in the past, it was just like a replacement level player that was filling in. And the disparity between him being in there and anyone else was just so huge. Um, now you have Horford. And then you would have O'Quinn backing up Horford, you know, to Horford, obviously, you know, one of the better big men in the league. And then you have O'Quinn that's, you know, a guy that can help out um, better than, you know, what they had in the past. So I just think those games when Embiid wasn't playing previously, uh, they were kind of like, oh, we don't really have a chance. And now I I feel good about uh, the team stepping on the court, even if he's not out there. And then, you know, we, we talked, they have Zaire, they have Thibel, they have, uh, you know, Trey Burke and uh, Neto as, yeah. as guys that can handle the ball and create shots. And, you know, I love TJ McConnell to death, but he's, you know, he's not the most dynamic offensive player. Uh, so having, having those guys that can, you know, create a bit of offense, um, you know, they're just, there's everybody on the roster is very intriguing now. In the past, it was, you know, guys that they like the the amir johnsons of the world that you know great vets great locker room guys but you know at that stage of their career they weren't really dynamic players that were going to be contributing to a a playoff team so up and down the roster now you have quality guys that that are either uh, accomplished veterans that can still contribute or intriguing young players and you know, in an 82 game regular season, that depth matters. It doesn't matter as much in the playoffs, but it definitely matters in the, in the regular season. So I think that'll just, that alone will, you know, help uh, get a couple more wins for them. So given that they were at 51, um, given the Horford acquisition, uh, I just, I think they'll, I think 55 is a pretty good number, but I'll go over for that, uh, say 57 wins. Okay. And so do you think second the East, or do you think they can get that, that number one spot? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm going to say they still are behind Milwaukee. Um, okay. I think Milwaukee is in, in the, in the coach bud system. They're just, 
the kind of team built for the regular season. I, I think we saw that last year. They won 60 games, and uh, they are also a team that you know has a lot of depth, and it's a system that's all about Giannis and every and he's you know a young guy in his prime. You know, barring some injury, he's not a guy that has to sit out ever, and he he's going to be there for 80 games, and everything's geared around him. MVP of the league. Um, and so when he's out there, uh, they're going to just run through most teams during the regular season when they don't have the time um, or the wherewithal to focus their defensive strategy around how do we stop Giannis. And, and I think that's a big thing that, you know, teams are able to do in the playoffs, but they're not able to do it when they're, you know, had a game the night before or they or they had a game two days ago and they had to travel. Um, that, that's the type of, it's, it's, it's more difficult to, uh, to stop a premier player like that who has a system completely uh, geared towards make optimizing his talents. I think that's a hard thing to do in the regular season. So giving that and the depth that they have and, and, and the coaching and the system, I, I think they're a very good regular season team. I think they'll win 60 games again. And uh, I don't think the Sixers are quite there. And I don't think they, they, are really too concerned about that. I think they're going to be more concerned about keeping guys like Embiid and Horford healthy going into the playoffs. For sure. All right, so last question I have for you, Sean, before I let you go. Three predictions for the 76ers this year. Uh, they don't have to be hot takes unless you want them to be, but just three things you think are going to happen with the Sixers this year. It can be team or individual related. What do you got? All right, I will say that Ben Simmons makes a three-pointer. <laughs> that, that is one prediction. I love that of all the predictions we've got from all the interviews we've done that's maybe my favorite one so far yep that um, is awesome I, I'm a believer I'm not a believer that he's gonna be you know shooting even 30% or anything but I think he's actually gonna try some legitimate three-pointers this season he did it once against the Lakers last year and uh I think Sixers Twitter like almost like fainted of the vapors. <laughs> like they were an 18, 18th century courtesan or something. That's hilarious. Um, so he, uh, I, you know, we saw, you, you see the summer videos and, you know, you can take them what for what they're worth. Um, but he's always been working on his shot since he's come into the league. And I think the fact that he was willing to put those out there just means he's confident enough to start showing those in games. So I think he will hit a three. Um, okay. So that's one. Um, what else we got here? I think that the, by the end of the season, we'll be saying that the Sixers got the better end of the Josh Richardson Jimmy Butler swap. I like that one too. That's a really fun one. I think uh, that, that's a little hot takeish, right? I'm not saying Richardson's a better player at this point of their careers, but I think that Richardson will be a better fit for what the Sixers are trying to do. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I think it'll kind of allow Simmons to spread his wings a little bit more. He'll, he'll be able to have the ball in his hands more. And I just, with uh, with him being kind of more low-key guy and Al Horford being, like, by all accounts, the consummate teammate and just great individual, I think that there'll be a little more, there'll be less, there'll definitely be less drama. Yeah, I was about I, to say, Josh Richardson and Al Horford are, like, personality wise they just seem like the polar opposite of jimmy butler right you know so i think uh you know love love what jimmy did while he was here you know people were chanting his name when he had a huge playoff game he he was a warrior he did great for them but i think uh when it when people look back after this upcoming season they'll say man i'm really glad that uh you know whatever it was 
either they didn't offer him the five-year max or Jimmy wanted to go to Miami. Uh, I, I think people will be glad that happened and that that's the avenue they went rather than just running back the roster they had last year. So uh, that'd be number two. Okay. And then number three, um, I'm going to say they make the NBA Finals. Nice. So um, we did a... Uh, just not not one of our preview pods, but just a regular podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was it was kind of like a betting hot take pod. And one of my takes was that Philly would win win the title this year. So I'm glad that that you're on board with me that they at least make the finals. I I am 100% on board with you on that. I I definitely think they can make the finals this year. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't. I I mean, obviously, I think they have the talent to to win it all. Uh, I think it would depend on who comes out of the West and the the given matchup. You know, there's a lot of good teams out West, and I think there's some teams that they would match up with better than others. But uh, as for, like, last last season, I think if they had beaten Toronto, everyone felt very good about their chances against Milwaukee. Um, And I think that kind of came to fruition when Toronto had an easier time beating the Bucs. Yeah. And then this season, you know, adding Horford, uh, I think they now have guys that can actually do a fairly good job against Giannis. I think Horford in the past has done well against him, um, guarding him. Um, We saw last regular season, Embiid was matched up against Giannis, did a pretty good job. Um, They they went with, with that, which... People had kind of been wondering if they were going to, you know, pit these two unicorns against each other. And Embiid did a did a good job defensively against him. Definitely held his own. And then uh, Simmons is another guy that, you know, he hasn't had a lot of success in the past. But you know, as a six ten point guard, essentially, he's definitely a better option than most teams have to, For sure. to deal with a guy like uh, with like Giannis. So I, I think they're more so than many other teams. They have the pieces to kind of not stop Giannis, but at least contain him. And then given, uh, I think the Brogdon loss is going to hurt Milwaukee. And I think, I think they're actually going to be slightly worse than they were last season. So I felt confident they were going to beat the Bucks last year. I, I feel even more confident this year. Very good. Awesome. Well, Hey, Sean, thank you again so much for coming on with us today. Uh, I really appreciate you. And for all of you guys listening, make sure you go follow Sean on Twitter at Philly fast break. Uh, like we've talked about in this interview, Philly's going to be a hell of a fun team to watch this year. Uh, good chance they are the the team from the East that's going to be in the finals. So you're going to want to follow along, and Sean is one of the best for that. So at Philly Fast Break, you can also read all of his work at libertyballers.com. Uh, Sean, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. And yeah, anybody, you know, the Sixers are, there's always something going on with them, it seems like, and we have a great crew over at Liberty Ballers. So, you know, make sure to check it out if uh, anything ever pops with the Sixers and you want to read about them. Definitely. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, Sean, again, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk you, talk to you again uh, as the season progresses. All right. Sounds good. Take care. So another huge thank you to Sean for coming on Talking Sixers with us and previewing the Philadelphia 76ers. Next up, we have Kane Pittman uh, to preview the Milwaukee Bucks. But before that, or from one of our sponsors. Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. There's one problem. Guys keep buying generic, off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company that makes suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. 
Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally. Or you can measure them at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, the Uncontested listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just $369 and free, sh- and free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Now, Kane Pittman to preview the Milwaukee Bucks. Hey guys, it's Justin, and I am now joined by Kane Pittman to talk a little bit about the Milwaukee Bucks. Kane is a co-host of the Hero Step podcast, a reporter for ESPN Australia and New Zealand, and the media manager for Basketball Australia. You can find him on Twitter at Kane Pittman. All the way from Melbourne, Australia. Kane, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no troubles at all. Thanks for having me, man. I know it's busy down there with uh, with the FIBA World Cup going on, so we really appreciate you making time. Has that been keeping you busy? Yeah, it's a it's a really busy time, and I only just stepped into the role in, in the last week, so I, I sort of went from covering uh, all the Team USA stuff and doing a bunch of stuff for the uh, for the Bucks to now uh, going on the other side of the fence with the, with the media type stuff. But it's good, it's fun, and it's keeping me up late. I'm watching a lot yeah, of basketball at the moment. I bet. <laughs> Fill in your days with basketball. Yeah. Can't complain about that. Exactly. So let's dive in uh, to give our listeners kind of our, an overview of where Milwaukee's been and kind of what they've been up to this summer. Uh, last season, the Bucks finished off at 60 and 22, which, as we all know, was first place in the East. They lost in the Eastern Conference Finals in six games to the eventual champion Toronto Raptors. Over the summer, uh, they lost a couple players, most notably Malcolm Brogdon and Nikola Mirotic. However, they re-signed Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, and George Hill, and they added Brooke's brother Robin, Wes Matthews, Thanasis Antetokounmpo, Kyle Korver, and Dragon Bender. Uh, Coaching, they lost an assistant coach, Taylor Jenkins, to the Memphis Grizzlies, but they also added a coach from the Memphis Grizzlies, Chad Forcier. Looking at the salary situation, they're sitting at $132 million for next season, which is just slightly under the luxury tax apron. And as we look at next season projections, Westgate currently has them has the over-under at 58, which is three games ahead of the Philadelphia 76ers. So, Kane, let's start with the kind of additions and subtractions, the roster moves that the Bucks made, made this summer. When you're looking at this team, who do you think is the most notable addition that the Bucks had this summer? I think it's probably going to be Wes Matthews, and I look, that's going to be an interesting move, I think, for the most part, just because of Wes Matthews' age, uh, and obviously he had the big Achilles injury. This is a few years ago now, but he's just not the same Wes Matthews that he used to be, uh, but I think that was an important signing uh, when you look at, obviously, the guy that they lost, which I'm sure we're going to get to. So uh, I think Matthews at the moment is probably projected to start for the Bucks. 
Um, I, I think that he's going to be asked to somewhat fill the role that Malcolm Brogdon had with the Bucks in terms of uh, being that probably fifth guy on offense that as a result of playing around guys like Giannis and Milton and Lopez is, is probably going to get a lot of open looks. So uh, I don't think they'll be asking a lot from Matthews on either end of the floor, but it's still going to be a very important role in terms of uh, him being able to knock down those shots at an efficient rate because we know that that was what uh, Brogdon did all season long. For sure. And Wes Matthews is a guy that we Thunder fans, uh, we, we know very well. We were envying him <laughs> up to the, the trade deadline last year, yeah. and we were kind of hoping that they still had a chance at adding him this summer. But I think I think he's a guy, you, you mentioned it, he, he's still got a lot of talent, but there's questions about his age. And another addition that the Bucks had this summer that kind of falls in the same camp, uh, but age is probably even more so of a concern, is Kyle Korver. What do you see him bringing to the Bucks lineup? Yeah, more shooting. I know that's an obvious answer, but we saw the Bucks last year, the, the transformation they had uh, when they went from Jason Kidd to Mike Budenholzer, and, and everyone had the, the ultra-green light from three. Uh, we know that's what Bud wants to do, and I, I think um, certainly that signing uh, is a sign that the Bucks probably thought uh, that that's where they fell over in the, in the conference finals. And I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. You already touched on uh, Miritich, a guy that they didn't bring back, who was supposed right. to be that guy in the playoffs and, and ended up shooting uh, under 20% in the conference finals from three and ended up out of the rotation for game, uh, game six. So I, I think that's what it's going to be. Clearly, I, I don't think is a guy that they're going to want to play huge minutes in the regular season, uh, just with that age in mind. But... Uh, I think that he's going to be a guy that as the season rolls on, uh, Bud's going to look to lean on a little bit more to bring that shooting. And uh, even last year, we saw the Corva. Uh, he's limited at this point. And I, I guess in some ways he always has been, but he can still shoot the ball. Sure. And I, I think that's what that's what the key is going to be. I think as long as you can shoot the ball, you're probably going to have yeah. a spot in the NBA. <laughs> so let's talk about, you touched on it, uh, players that you lost. The big one, obviously, Malcolm Brogdon. Do you have any worries about losing him? Wh- what do you think that does to the Bucks lineup? Yeah, I, I think it is a, a big loss. Um, I, I think in particular, you think of a few attributes that he has in terms of uh, he's just such a steady guard, and he was a guy that you could always trust that when the ball was in his hands, he was generally going to make a good decision. Uh, he really didn't take bad shots, and when you look at the way that he shot 50-40-90 last year, clearly there hasn't been a lot of players that have done that, but uh, a big reason for that was his shot selection. He takes good shots. Uh, he gets into the restricted area, finishes well around the basket, and then shoots wide open three. So uh, the question will be whether the Bucks are going to be able to get that efficient 15 points, and it's probably not going to come to that level just because that's, that's very rare what he did. But uh, I, I think that... The other question mark, clearly, when they came to signing Brogdon, and you, you touched on that they were just under the luxury tax. So uh, by signing Brogdon, then they could have signed him. He was a restricted free agent. They, they certainly could have done that, but it would have pushed them into the luxury tax. And uh, with a guy like Brogdon, who, uh, as efficient as he has been, and I mentioned all the, the good attributes he has, he is a little bit limit, limited offensively, uh, particularly with, the, with his jump shot. He's got a, a sort of a slow release. Uh, that he does need to be open to shoot those threes. So that was probably a concern if you're paying this guy over $20 million. The other question was health. Uh, He's missed a lot of games over the last two years and uh, had an injury history in college. So uh, I think that was the reason they didn't bring him back, and I can certainly understand why they were hesitant to do so. But uh, it it, it will be a big loss. Brogdon is going to be a big loss, and and that will be a move that will be judged through the season because I know a lot of Bucks fans 
uh, were not happy that they weren't willing to go into the luxury tax to, to keep that guy. Sure. We we have lots of luxury tax discussions around the Thunder the last <laughs> no year. No question. So we're, yeah. we're, we're no stranger to that. Looking at uh, overall kind of team depth, it seems like maybe the only soft spot for the Bucks is that small forward position. Do you see that as a concern, or do you think some of the guys maybe that play the two can also slide down to the three and kind of split those minutes, or is that a legitimate concern? Uh, I think you will see uh, a bunch of guys, and the Bucks last year certainly uh, showed uh, that they were willing to play small and, and play some Giannis at the five or Ersan uh, at the five, Ersan and it's over. So uh, I think that they've got enough guys that can probably slide up and play some minutes at the three. Um, the concern is probably defensively more than anything, but I think guys like Sterling Brown and, and Pat Connaughton uh, will play a lot at the three. Um, I, I know you already mentioned Corver again. I, I don't think they're going to want to play him big minutes during the regular season, but they've got a bunch of young guys uh, that are going to, I think, share minutes uh, around. And then obviously Chris Milton is going to be uh, the main guy that they will play the 30-plus minutes there. But certainly at the at the, at the the wing positions and, and even the guard, you know, when you do lose Malcolm Brogdon, um, you get Wes Matthews, obviously, but certainly at that backup point guard position, you will be relying more on George Hill than you probably had to last season during the regular season. So there is some concern there, you know, in those those uh, guard positions and then, and then the wing. But I, I think that Bud really trusts guys like Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo and, and expects big things out of them too. So taking a step back, kind of thinking about the, the front office and the ownership of the team, kind of the direction of the franchise as a whole, you know, being so close to making the finals where the Bucks were having the best record in the regular season and then coming up just short in the Eastern Conference Finals, do you feel like they had a good enough summer to make another run at it? Do you feel that the moves that they made are satisfactory to once again contend for a title? Well, I think they did. Uh, and I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think, first of all, the Bucks would have learned a lot from the Eastern Conference Finals, and Giannis in particular. I, I think the big thing with the Bucks last year was that everything came so easy for them <laughs> during the regular season. They won 60 games, and really they were blowing out a lot of teams. They, they only lost right. back-to-back games once. Uh, so I, I think a problem they ran into in the, uh, in the playoffs was that they didn't really have a plan B, and I don't fully subscribe to the fact that that is Bud's fault. Uh, I think that the players themselves were never put in the position where they needed to, to play a different way to the way they were. And when they found themselves in trouble against Toronto, they weren't prepared for that. So, I, I, look, it was a, it was obviously a harsh lesson to lose when you get so close to the NBA Finals. But uh, I think they would have learned a lot from that. And, and as I said, particularly Giannis, who, who the day after uh, they lost Game 6, was telling us that, that he already knew uh, how he should have played and what he should have done and he needed to step back and, and understand that he needed to be a better passer he needed to be quicker with his first first move so I, I think they would have learned a lot of lessons from that uh, and the second reason is that uh, I just don't think the East is that strong so <laughs> I, I right. think I think you know providing good health uh, I think that the Bucks probably are a lock for, for that one or two seed and, and then from there you give yourselves a real shot yeah that's what's so exciting going into this next NBA season is how wide open it is. Uh, Especially after LeBron left the East, that opened things up in the Eastern Conference. But now with the Warriors uh, kind of disbanding a little bit, 
uh, with Kevin Durant heading off, you have that same kind of parity in the Western Conference. So I think a lot of teams see the opportunity, and it, it, it'll be interesting to see which ones step up and grab it. So I want to ask you some questions about the upcoming season, kind of what you're expecting to see from the Bucks. Are there any breakout players that you think are really kind of primed for a big season this next year that maybe we haven't heard about? Yeah, there's, there's two guys that, that are going to be really interesting for me. And I already touched on Dante DiVincenzo. He was a guy that Bud very clearly likes. He was always one of the first yeah. guys off the bench, you know, even as a rookie. So uh, he had some, some real problems with uh, heel uh, bursitis and really didn't play for the last two or three months uh, of the season. He came back for one or two games, had a real impact, and then had to be sidelined again with that injury. So uh, he's probably a guy that will be under the radar for most uh, fans around the NBA, but uh, he's really aggressive defensively. Uh, he proje- was projected as a shooter. He shot, was a little bit inconsistent when he was on the floor last year, but I don't think that's something uncommon for rookies in the NBA. So uh, if he can shore up that shot and get that to sort of you know 35%, that high 30s and bring the defense I, I think he's going to play a lot and the other guy would be DJ Wilson and and he's really projected now to probably play uh, a big role uh, with Miritich out because he sort of became uh, that that odd man out when the Bucks got Miritich and they really wanted to play Nico that trade was designed for the playoffs uh, which pushed DJ Wilson out a little bit but DJ has a has a real case to be potentially the, the Bucks best uh multi-position defender and, and guy that can really move around uh, to uh, defend multiple guys on switches outside of outside of Giannis and the Bucks. So defensively, he brings a lot and uh, he, he has the capability to knock down threes as well. So I think DJ Wilson and, and DiVincenzo are two guys that will play a lot for this team. I love that Wilson pick because it makes me think of a situation that we had on the Thunder where we had Jeremy Grant who was kind of stuck behind Carmelo Anthony, who they added at the last moment, shortly before the season. And we didn't really get to see as much of Grant as we expected to, because obviously you're paying Melo uh, lots of money to play. uh, And so you're going to play him. But even, even in that scenario, you know, he got more minutes heading into the playoffs. But then last year, after they got rid of Melo, we really saw Jeremy Grant blossom. So a lot of times, like you mentioned, you know, maybe Miritich moving on gives Wilson that, that platform to really blossom. Yeah, I think so. And I think just just on that, that was probably the point because the reason DJ Wilson actually fell out of the rotation in the first place was he went through a shooting slump and the Bucks probably felt that they could lean on Miritich who, even though he wasn't shooting great, they're like, well, this guy's proven it. He's eventually going to start shooting right. the ball. <laughs> it didn't happen. But right. but now I think that that window's open for, uh, for Wilson. So what do you think? Uh, give me a, a hot take pertaining to the bucks what's what's kind of your off the wall spiciest take that you've got for milwaukee <laughs> i this is this is interesting i don't know whether it's that much of a hot take i guess it is but I, the bucks are also a guy we didn't mention they picked up robin lopez now robin lopez obviously now gets to play with his brother but i also think that the bucks the reason why they brought him in was because they lacked uh that that second big body uh, that they may need now against the Sixers when you talk about um, Al Horford and Joel Embiid, even if it's just uh, for foul trouble uh, insurance in the playoffs. They didn't have another big body. They bring in Robert Lopez. But we know the way Brooke Lopez has shot the ball over the uh, over the last two or three seasons. Robert Lopez hasn't been a three-point shooter. I'm told that he has been shooting a lot of threes since he got uh, picked up by the Bucks. He's going to be shooting threes for the Bucks. I'm hearing Robin Lopez has the green light. 
I would expect him uh, to be getting up a lot of threes, and I wouldn't surprise me to see him shooting them well. I, I was talking to Brook Lopez last week. He believes he can shoot them. Uh, I think we, we're going to expect to see Robin Lopez shooting threes for the Bucks this year. Nice. I like it. Following in his brother's footsteps. All right. He sees that. Brooke <laughs> Lopez was, he was, what did he get, a $3 million deal last year? Shoots 183s. Now he's a $50 million man. Robin Lopez Crazy. is smart. He's on the box in the yeah. middle now. He sees, <laughs> he sees the path to, to another big deal. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that would be that would be terrifying if that does indeed happen to have <laughs> both Lopez brothers pulling up for threes on you. <laughs> it's going to so, be fun. It's going to be fun. <laughs> so final questions here. Uh, we mentioned earlier that Vegas has Milwaukee's over-under number at 58, which puts them at the first seed in the Eastern Conference. So my question is, are you taking the over or the under? I'm taking the under, and I've been pretty strong on this uh, since the end of the season. I, I think that I, I think it's a bit of a misconception that the Bucks really went all out to win 60 last year. I don't think that was the case because they were winning so comfortably, and, and Middleton and Giannis's minutes were actually well down on what they were the year before. So I don't think they overexerted themselves mm-hmm. last year getting 60, but I think this year they're going to try a bunch of different things. I think Bud is going to understand that they're going to be there in the playoffs, but they need to be better prepared for what's going to come in the playoffs. So I think they're going to try different things. I think that might result in uh, in losing some more games. And Giannis himself said that, uh, particularly early in the season, he needs to he needs to maybe try and take his foot off the gas a little bit and, and just relax a little bit. So I've got the Bucks winning 54-55. Uh, but again, that still might be good enough for the for the number one seed in the East. For sure. And I think that's the trend that you're seeing all across the NBA. You know, the the phrase load management yeah. has been on everybody's lips this last year. I think people are getting smarter as data has penetrated the NBA. People understand that, you know, the difference between 58 and 54 games is not that much. Yeah. But if you can save yourself for the playoffs, that's that's obviously where you can make the most impact. Yeah, I agree. So I, before I think that no, I just want to say that I, I I totally agree, and I think that they know they know that because uh, winning sixty games in the end was great, but it, it didn't it didn't really mean anything when it came to sure. the conference finals. So I think that that's totally. that's a key point. So before we go, uh, I want you to hit us with three predictions for the Bucks this year. They can be team or individual related. Just kind of three things that you're you're looking to see out of the Bucks this season. Well, I, I think that the one thing is that I think Chris Middleton, again, we've seen him with, with Team USA uh, these uh, last few weeks, and uh, it, it's an interesting sort of situation with Team USA. Obviously, the numbers aren't uh, where they usually are, but I, I think, again, the Bucks being a, a top seed, I, I think the Middleton will, again, be an all-star. So that would be the, his uh, second time in a row for Chris after just signing uh, the big deal there. I think Giannis... This year, and I've just spoke about how he might try and take the, his foot off the gas, so that might contradict that a little bit, but uh, I think that he, uh, I'm not sure he's going to win the MVP, but I think he might win the Defensive Player of the Year this year. Ooh, I'm not sure like I'm not sure whether you know Rudy Gobert is going to win three in a row, and I, I think that Giannis obviously you know, was, was one of the nominated players last year. So I think Giannis will win Defensive Player of the Year. Like it, and uh, maybe maybe now now I'm struggling for a third, but maybe maybe one of those maybe one of those two guys I spoke about, maybe DJ Wilson could be in the running. I'm not saying he'll win it, but he might be one of the guys in the running for most improved. I really think that he's going to play a lot this year. I like it. All good stuff. Well, Kane, uh, once again, thanks so much for jumping on with us to talk about the Bucks. Everybody, go check him out. You can find him on Twitter at Kane Pittman. 
Check out the Eurostep podcast, a uh, member of Blue Wire podcast. Check him out wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow uh, Kane for all his coverage, not just books related, but uh, Australia basketball, and especially with the, the FIBA World Cup going on, he'll be a great follow through all of that. Uh, so thanks again, Kane. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. So another huge thank you to Kane Pittman for coming on and previewing the Milwaukee Bucks with us. Up next, we have Gerald Bourget to preview the Phoenix Suns. But before that, a word from one more sponsor. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course, you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Now, up next, Gerald Bourget to preview the Phoenix Suns season. All right, now we're back. This is Jacob, and I am joined by Gerald Bourget. He is the editor and writer for Fansided and The Step Back, and he covers the Phoenix Suns. Gerald, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jacob. How about you? Awesome. I'm good, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, so you guys know you can find Gerald. Uh, he is on Twitter at Gerald Bourget. His last name is B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. Uh, you can find his writing at Fansided NBA and at the underscore step underscore back. Uh, Gerald is great at what he does. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Nick and I both wrote, wrote what well, we still write for Hoops Habit, and Gerald was the one that cleaned up all of our mistakes and made us look way better than we actually are. So <laughs> thank you for that as well, Gerald. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I didn't really have much to do with you two, luckily. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's what they all say. Okay, let's jump into the, the Phoenix Suns. So last season, they end 19-63. and 63. Which is the last place in the West. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that was that tied for the worst record in the league, or was were the Knicks a little bit worse? Um, I think they were tied. Ooh, I think the Knicks had the worst record. I think maybe the Knicks had one less win, somewhere right around there. Yeah. Anyways, um, not a whole lot of wins for Phoenix last season. Then the summer hits, and uh, starting on the the day of the draft we started to see the Phoenix Suns start making a lot of moves. Um, instead of going through and kind of categorizing each different transaction, uh, I'm just going to go through and kind of list everything uh, as far as players coming in, going out, etc. So the Suns lost TJ Warren, Rashawn Holmes, Jimmer Fredette, who wasn't on the team very long anyways, Troy Daniels, Jamal Crawford, Josh Jackson, DeAnthony Melton, and Dragon Bender. I think that's everyone who left the team, which is like half the roster. They acquired Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky, Ricky Rubio, Jared Harper, Tariq Owens, Czech Diallo, and David Kramer. They re-signed Kelly Oubre in free agency, and then they drafted Ty Jerome and Cameron Johnson. Gerald, to your recollection, does that sound correct? Yep, sounds about right. Awesome. Okay, so no injuries going into the season. Uh, there is a coaching change, though. Monty Williams will be the head coach for the Suns coming up. Uh, Thunder fans, 
are familiar with Monty Williams whenever he was an assistant here um, a couple years ago. And uh, unfortunately, that ended in really sad circumstances. But Monty's a great guy. I don't know if you've ever covered him before, Gerald, but uh, you will love him out there. He is one of the most stand-up guys I've ever listened to talk. He's incredible. Um, salary situation, Phoenix is around $13 million over the salary cap, but they're well below the tax. They're, they're nowhere close to a tax team. And for next year, Westgate projects them to win 29 and a half games, which would be good for the 14th seed in the West, about three games ahead of the Memphis Grizzlies. So, Gerald, let's just start with, with all that roster turnover, because like I mentioned, that's almost half the roster that left, and then a bunch of new faces coming in. And I feel like NBA community is, is kind of mixed on what the Suns did this summer, if they think it's good, if they think it's bad, if they think there's a sense of direction or not. So can you just kind of talk about that a little bit and what you think about the summer? Yeah, I mean, I have very mixed feelings on the offseason, and I feel like that's kind of my mixed feelings are a pretty good uh, representation of why the rest of the NBA community's feelings are mixed as well. On the one hand, they did get better this summer. Like they added actual NBA players, which they did not have a lot of. If you look at the guys that are no longer on the roster, the Dragon Benders, Josh Jackson, DeAnthony Melton, they're all mostly young players who were still trying to figure it out. They had too many players in that category. And a lot of those projects, a lot of those players drafted from the Ryan McDonough era just were not panning out. And Josh Jackson, on top of being reckless on the court, was just as reckless with some of his decision-making off the court, which was garnering bad headlines. And it was, you know, I, I don't blame them for giving up on his potential this early and calling a potential draft bust what it is. You know, maybe he'll figure it out with the Grizzlies and that could be a good situation for him given their you know, history of being stout defenders and the grit and grind and all that stuff, but it just wasn't happening in Phoenix. Um, so they did add real NBA players this summer. They added Ricky Rubio, who is a league average point guard at worst and the kind of facilitator that they've needed badly. I mean, honestly, other than Eric Bledsoe, I can't think, and like he might be the best facilitator they've had since Steve Nash because Goran Dragic was more of a score first point guard even at his best here. Eric Bledsoe, same thing. Um, Ricky Rubio is a facilitator, and that will make Devin Booker's life easier. Dario Saric fills the uh, four spot, which was previously occupied by Dragon Bender. Love Bender, but he was not a starting caliber four in the NBA last year. Um, you know, they added some depth with Frank Kaminsky. Uh, they added mature players in the draft. Even if they're still rookies, they were like three, four-year college guys with experience in the NCAA tournament. So they added a lot of shooting. They added a lot of maturity. They added actual NBA players. The problem with their summer for me is the way they went about adding those players, like the process, the means to the end, basically. You know, they dumped TJ Warren for basically nothing but cap space and then filled that cap space on the same night with Dario Saric and Aaron Baines. Well, that means they had to go and dump Josh Jackson's salary, and they had to attach two second-rounders and a valuable rookie, DeAnthony Melton, who I'm very high on for his defense and his flashes of playmaking last year. They had to attach all that just to get rid of the number four pick from two years ago. Like, that's never going to look good, even if it's a new regime, even if it's not their fault that they whiffed on Josh Jackson when they could have had De'Aaron Fox. Like it's just bad asset management. And we saw it time and time again, 
you know, I'm still bummed about, I, I think Cam Johnson can be good as a shooter, but outside of that, I don't know what he does at the NBA level. And when they traded down from six to 11, they had Brandon Clark sitting right there, um, who is a shot blocking four, the exact type of defensive player you need next to DeAndre Ayton, who might not be a very good defensive anchor. And they passed on him to take the biggest reach in the draft. So it's just little things like that that are kind of worrisome. They did get better this summer, but their asset management was uh, a little concerning. Yeah, so you actually touched on two of the next things that I wanted to ask you about, which was um, attaching DeAnthony Melton to that Josh Jackson deal, which I felt like uh, a lot of people weren't high on that, and and they had to attach assets to get rid of Josh Jackson, Mm -hmm. primarily because what you mentioned, that those off-court issues. And then the next one was, uh, to me, maybe some people would call it the biggest reach in the draft with Cam Johnson, Um, maybe the second biggest reach in the draft, uh, with Orlando drafting, uh, oh, is is it Chuma Okiki out of Auburn who has the torn ACL? And I know that was a a bit of a stretch as well, but so, so I definitely agree with you on that. Um, you mentioned DeAndre Ayton though. How do you see him progressing from year one to year two? We, we kind of know that that players typically you see their biggest jump when they go from rookie to sophomore year, just they have that year of NBA experience under their belt. They know what it takes. They know the physicality. They know the grind of the season. And you typically see a nice jump year one to year two. So what are you expecting from DeAndre Ayton coming this next season? I think with the team that Phoenix has put around him and Devin Booker now, it would be very disappointing if he doesn't take a big leap. I mean, you look at his rookie season, the guy put up 16 and 10 on historic efficiency, and that's without having an actual point guard to feed him. <laughs> like he was very he was very efficient on post-ups, he was very efficient around the rim. I think he was 8th in the league in efficiency within 5 feet of the rim among the guys who had attempted, I think it was like 200 shots in that area of the floor. Um, he was just he tidied up around the basket. He was good on the offensive glass, but he didn't have, other than Devin Booker, who's a shooting guard, he didn't have somebody who could just set him up for easy looks. Like last year, entry passes were a problem for this team. Like that's how bad it was. Yeah, They had two second round rookies and Isaiah Cannon as their starting point guards for most of the season. And then it was Tyler Johnson and he's more of a combo guard. So I feel like with Ricky Rubio, Tyler Johnson coming off the bench and Devin Booker's playmaking ability, which took a major step last year, like he's going to have options that can feed him on the pick and roll and make his life easier. And he's also got shooters on the perimeter now, which should help. The Suns were last dead last in three point percentage last year. Um, They've got Sharich, they've got Booker, they've got Mikkel Bridges who will hopefully be better along with Booker this year. Um, and even Aaron Baines, he's going to let it fly a little bit. Um, so I, I feel like there should be better spacing this year. Um, and on the defensive end, I feel like Baines is a very under the radar, good addition for this team, just because like that guy is rigid. He is not going to move. He's not going to back down. He's going to put guys on their butts. And that's exactly the kind of mentality Deandre Ayton needs to have. He's got all the physical gifts. He just doesn't always contest shots. He's sometimes late with his rotations. Um, He needs that kind of mental toughness and a guy who's going to push him because his backup last year was Rashawn Holmes, who played amazing off the bench. But Rashawn Holmes is trying to carve out a place for himself in the NBA still. 
Baines is more of a mentor, a guy who's been around, a guy who is going to be more willing to show him the ropes and maybe not so focused on, you know, trying to carve out a role for himself. So I think that's exactly what Aiton needs defensively to push him because he's got the physical gifts. It's just a matter of focus and fatigue and awareness with him sometimes. So hopefully this year between all of those things, he's primed for a big season because, you know, Doncic and Trey Young captured our attention and that was an amazing rookie of the year race. But in a normal year, like Aiton would have gotten more attention. Yeah, and that for was sure. Without a, that was without an actual point guard. So it should be exciting to see what he brings to the table this year. So you talked about some of the the passing issues of the team, but you also mentioned how Devin Booker last year with the ball in his hand so much kind of made strides in that area. Um, With having a veteran point guard like Ruki Rubio on the roster this season, do you still see, uh, and and maybe this changes a little bit with the the coaching changes as well, but do you see them still pushing Devin Booker uh, to explore that, that playmaking part of his game and having the ball in his hands? Or do you see them kind of shifting more to having Booker spot up, having him cut, having come, him come off curl downs and, and whatnot, and uh, maybe the ball in his hand a little bit less? How do you see his progression moving forward? It should be an interesting balance. I, I, and I think it'll be a healthy one for both Booker and the team because as much as Booker's playmaking improved, he was still very turnover prone. And I mean, you see that from the best assist guys in the league like Harden and Westbrook, but Booker's not quite at that caliber. Um, so I, I think taking the ball out of his hands and taking off some of that pressure to both score and play make for the Suns all the time is going to be huge this year. Rubio is definitely going to help in that regard, hopefully get him involved in more off the ball stuff because Booker, you know, people forget this, but coming into the draft, Booker was pegged as like a spot up shooter, an off ball guy, like a Clay Thompson light kind of player. Yep. And that hasn't been his function in the NBA at all because of a lack of talent, a lack of playmaking around him to make his life easier. So hopefully Rubio will help with that, but they also need to make sure that they empower Booker to keep exploring that playmaking aspect of his game because it is what's going to separate him and it is why a lot of people, at least the ones that don't think he's overrated, were so high on his season last year. It's because of that growth that he showed in that area. So I think hopefully if they can get him more catch-and-shoot looks where he was still good, even though his three-point efficiency dived off a cliff last year, a lot of that was pull-up stuff. A lot of that was on-the-ball stuff. Hopefully they can get him off-the-ball stuff, and then if that's covered, his playmaking ability as a secondary playmaker will really shine. So is he going to be able to play make at all though, if he can't even handle a double team and pick up? <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. We're not going down that road. There's no way in hell we're going down that. Road. Oh man. Don't you love the NBA in July and August? It's, it's really dry out here. Oh man. God, that was the story of like just the NBA for like three days, man. I was just like, we, we got to move on. This it is was, awful. It was that. And, uh, the chicken sandwich wars. And I, I honestly think the Devin Booker thing was dumber. <laughs> you know, I never actually, uh, got around to, getting to Popeye's so I I don't get to have an opinion when they when they come back you got to do it it's yeah I know maybe (laughs) uh maybe I need to get that app you know yes (laughs) exactly (laughs) um okay one more guy I wanted to touch on um the the Suns went ahead and re-signed Kelly Oubre in restricted free agency a shorter deal only two years 30 million dollars average of about 15 million per uh, how do you feel about Kelly Oubre's game, bringing him back, and his, I guess, short and long-term fit with this roster? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were somewhat 
disappointed at first that it wasn't for a longer deal. Um, two years is kind of both sides being a little uneasy with the long-term fit, maybe not being able to come to terms on um, the annual salary for a four-year deal because you know paying him in the $60 million range over four years would have been a pretty hefty investment. He was very good in Phoenix, and he was part of the culture change that we saw a little bit down the stretch last season, which is huge for a franchise that's missed the playoffs nine years in a row and has just been the body language was terrible. You could tell that these guys weren't happy out there. Like him coming in and then Tyler Johnson coming in, it helped change the culture a little bit. So having him back is big, and it helps on the wing, and it gives um, a lot of length. The Suns were high up there in deflections between him and Mikael Bridges, so all of that's good. Um, he definitely still needs to work on that three-point shot, and so I think a two-year slight overpay is okay. Like It's not a bad thing. A lot of people clown the Suns because anytime the Suns do anything now, it's clown-worthy because they're the Suns, and I get it, but you know, $15 million a year over two years, it's not terrible value for a guy who helped turn things around. Who could be useful and then at the end of the two years you know we'll reevaluate see where things are and if he's not a part of this core moving forward like they still have Mikael Bridges and hopefully Mikael Bridges takes a leap next year um, and supplants him as a starter you know you'd be overpaying for a six man and Ubre at that point but you know whatever you need actual NBA players and Ubre is definitely one of those with his slashing ability that takes um, all of the pressure off of Booker on the offensive end. Definitely. And, you know, 15 million at, at this point in the NBA, I think 15 million is right at the average starting salary for a player. So, right. Uh, even though some people might perceive it as an overpay, uh, because of what Ubre has proved so far in the league, you know, it's, it, it's really not much of an overpay. And also you mentioned the, the culture shift with him coming in with Tyler Johnson coming in. Um, so I, I guess that the last thing I want to ask you before we get to our final two questions is, do you see that culture shift continuing with guys like Ricky Rubio, who is a, a veteran in this league and, and from all accounts, a, a true professional, uh, but then kind of circling the wagons back to, to the beginning of what we talked with, with Monty Williams and just the kind of guy he is, the type of people he's bringing in, what he's about. Can you just kind of sense that that is what is happening with that franchise right now? Absolutely, and, and I feel bad that Igor Kokoskov had to be the scapegoat for that change to happen, but with a new front office in place, um, you could tell there were just nights when the team, it looked like they had given up on their coach. It looked like he had lost the locker room a little bit. Um, I think with Monty in place, he's a player's coach. He's a guy that is so well-respected around the league. That type of thing isn't going to happen again. You could tell there was a little bit of a divide because Kokoskov is a brilliant basketball mind, but the communication between him and his players wasn't, it didn't always seem to be tip-top shape. So with Monty, hopefully that won't be an issue. If they continue to lose, like it's going to get to that point. That's just what losing does. But, you know, hopefully with a lot of these actual NBA guys that they have now, they haven't had that and people don't realize that. And that's why it was easy to rip on the Suns offseason because of their poor asset management. But if you look at who they brought in, they brought in Rubio, they brought in Sharch, they brought in Frank Kaminsky, they brought in um, you know, Aaron Baines. They brought in guys that have been on successful teams and that have been around the league and know what it takes 
to at least be competitive. The Suns haven't had a lot of guys like that. Like you look at their veterans, it was an over the hill Jared Dudley. It was an over the hill Tyson Chandler. It was, you know, 41 year old Jamal Crawford or however old he is. Yeah. Like, Dude, he's been around forever. Yeah. Like, and he, it, he doesn't age, which is creepy. No, he doesn't at all. And he's still, you see the summer he's, highlights. Yeah. He's, he's like the balling. Pharrell of the NBA. <laughs> right. Just Right. And, and those are great guys to have in your locker room, but you need more than that. You need guys that can contribute to winning on the court. So I feel like between Monty Williams and the actual NBA players that they brought in, um, it, it sounds, it seems really bad that I have to keep emphasizing this, but they brought in actual <laughs> NBA players. Jacob. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a thing. <laughs> and I, I think that's going to help a lot with the body language. It's going to help a lot with the growth. Um, these guys aren't meant to be, you know, long-term fixtures. This team isn't going to contend. They're not going to contend for a playoff spot, but they need to take the first step just back to relevance. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are missing with this conversation when it comes to what the Suns did this summer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, you have to crawl before you can run, right? Exactly. And, and th- this is just the first step in that direction. So with all that being said, like I mentioned earlier, Westgate has them at 29 and a half wins this season. Good for the 14th seed in the West. Uh, I want to know both the wins and the position in the West. Are you taking, uh, so you can give me over under on wins over under on 14th in the West. What do you think on both of those? I think slightly over on both of those. I think they're going to be around 32 wins and I think they'll be like 13th in the West. Okay. Okay. So, so not a whole lot of over, but maybe a little bit. And then lastly, before we let you go, three predictions for the Phoenix Suns this year. They can be like hot takes if you want them to be hot takes. They can be cold takes if you want them to be cold takes. Uh, Team-wise, individual-wise, it doesn't really matter. Just three predictions that you have for this team this year. Okay, I, I think barring injury, Devin Booker is going to be an all-star this season. Ooh, I like that one. I, I think he just puts up numbers, and I think if the team is even somewhat respectable, it's going to be enough to get him in the conversation. Um my other that, that would be impressive too because just the amount of guards in the west is insane it is it's, it's like <laughs> it i mean shit just between portland and houston you might have the the starting and backup guards on the <laughs> on the all-star roster you know so right. that that would that would be a good one um i'm also gonna say mikhail bridges is the starter by the end of the season and not because you know they're shutting guys down for injuries or tanking or whatnot Okay. Um, I think he's going to earn the starting role by the end of the season. And let's see. Hmm, This is tricky. And I feel like, I feel like Ty Jerome is going to be the more useful rookie than Cam Johnson, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, I don't think a lot of people would disagree with you on that one. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Cameron Johnson's going to have to play the four on that team too. I just, I don't think that guy can play three in the NBA. No, you know, I don't I, think he can play three in the NBA. And after they drafted him, Phoenix, like you mentioned, they went out and they got Sarich and they got Kaminsky, who both can play the four. So, right, I, it, it's going to be interesting. Can Cam Johnson even like crack and get a get a consistent getting the consistent rotation? Um, and I mean, hell, he might be as old as Sarge. I'm not for sure. But Cam Johnson <laughs> yeah. was, I think, the oldest guy in the draft. Was he not? Yeah, it's it's bad when you're drafted and you're like already like halfway up the roster in terms of age. It's yeah, like, is, he's <laughs> older than Devin Booker, isn't he? 
I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, he's older than Devin Booker, and Devin Booker's been in the league five years, so, <laughs> <laughs> which is that just blows my mind. All right, well, Gerald, thank you so much again for coming on with us, man. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Uh, everyone, make sure you go follow Gerald. He is on Twitter at Gerald Bourget. That's B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. You can find his work at NBA and at the underscore step underscore back. Uh, basically, anything that Gerald touches that has to do with basketball turns out amazing. Uh, so you will not regret that. And Gerald, uh, we might have to get you back on maybe when the Thunder play the Suns at some point this season. But until then, uh, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Take it easy. So there we have it. Episode four of our NBA season preview series. Another huge thank you to our guests, Sean Kennedy, Kane Pittman, and Gerald Borgay. Uh, please give those guys a follow and let them know if their time and content they provided were very appreciated. Also, please be sure to go leave us a five-star review or rating wherever you guys listen to your podcast. Uh, this really helps us continue to grow and be recognized and really helps us so much. We actually found out recently uh, last week that we were ranked number 70 overall in basketball podcasts in the U.S. on Apple. And, I mean, that's huge. We're, we're so excited and grateful for that, and we just want to continue to grow. And we have you guys to thank for that, for helping us continue to grow and, and listening to us. So just thank you guys again. Uh, we will have another midweek pod dropping late Wednesday, early Thursday, followed by our next season preview episode next Monday as we get closer and closer to training camp starting and the NBA season kicking off. So stick with us, and until next time, Thunder Up. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.